don't even know you're missing the mark. You think you're aiming for the right target, but the right target's over there. That's often what happens when sin is in your life. Uh, transgression, particularly, is the breaking of trust. Like we have a relationship and I've backstabbed you or I've stolen something when you've trusted me. And particularly iniquity is this idea of being bent or crooked when it's supposed to be straight. You've been misshapen in some way. In contrast, the word blessed um, actually comes from the word to be straight, for everything to be in order, to not be in chaos or um, out of alignment. And this the saying in the scriptures, to bear your iniquity, is to bear your own iniquity is sort of uh, carrying the burden or the consequences of your own crookedness. You, you sort of carry that as a burden and it bends your back over so that you're crooked, you're not standing up straight, right? As opposed to, actually there in verse 2, where it talks about being forgiven, that's actually this word for carry. God would carry your burden. The transgression is being lifted, it's being carried. That's what it means to be forgiven. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Keeping silent. This idea of I don't have contact with God. When I kept silent, you're unaware of your problem. There's a lack of self-awareness. I'm not calling out to God. And there's a clear idea of pain being worn out. Things are not in order. Things are out of joint. We're not in alignment. It's interesting, though, that God seems to be the one who has the burdensome hand. We, we feel his weight upon us. You see, David seems to be aware that his burden of his iniquity is coming from God. It's, it's making him aware of his sin. It, and it's good that it comes from God, that he is aware of his sin. Now he knows that he's missing the mark. He's no longer being deceived. And verse 5 Instead of keeping silent, David acknowledges his sin and does not cover it himself as opposed to the covering of sin in verse 1. And when he does this, the Lord carries his burden. He's forgiven. Now, there's a lot more that could be said, and I know I don't have time to say it all, but take the time to reflect on those last verses where calling on God is the way uh, of which the burdens are lifted. That's the challenge for us. We don't have good habits, I think, in coming to God regularly with repentance. We have communion where we're called to remember and think about how is it that we have wronged God, but generally through the week, I'm not sure we think about it that much. But that's the message that we all need to hear, is that, yes, we are bent over, we are broken, but God can carry our burden of iniquity. He sets us straight. If you actually look down in verse 11, it talks about the upright in heart. You've actually been made straight again. That comes from that same word, blessed, being made straight. That's the message of the gospel. Let me read just quickly from 1 Peter 2. 22 to 25, and see if you can recognise some of the similar words coming out. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He wasn't crooked. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins, or carried our sins, carried our iniquity in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, that we might be made right, that we might be made straight again. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, like a sheep that doesn't know where it's walking, (laughs) off on a crooked path. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the message that everybody needs to hear, but it's the message we proclaim at university. I get to, I have the joy to be able to proclaim at university that your life is crooked, but that burden can be lifted and be made straight. And it's a message for us all. It's not just for the university students, it's for all of us and for all of our friends to know that your burdens can be lifted, be made straight. The challenge is to remember to come to him in repentance. Um, Says, I think there in verse 6, talks about come to him in prayer when he may be found, when God may be found. God may be found all the time. I'm not sure if you, like, it's not like, you know, whilst he's there, but, you know, it's a clearance sale and he's only going to be there for 10 minutes. No, he's there all the time. Come to him in prayer, and particularly in the context of that psalm, prayer of repentance. That's a constant part of our habit as believers, as followers of Jesus. So I want to, I want to challenge you to think about what is it in your life, where is the place where you come to him and ask for forgiveness? Um, is it just on Sunday when we're at communion? Or is it something you do more regularly as something that just oozes out of you as God may be found? Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have lifted our iniquity, that you carried it yourself, you bore it in your body on the cross, that we might be made straight again after we have been made crooked and perverted by the sin in our lives and in the world, Lord. We couldn't lift it ourselves. It was only from you, Lord. And you made us aware of how broken and in need we were, that broken wasn't normal, that you would return us to fullness and wholeness, Lord. And we look forward to that day when you return, when you set all things right, and there will be no more brokenness. In the meantime, Lord, help us be faithful and help us to bear witness to the goodness of you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, one of the things I've learned in my life is that your strength can often be your weakness. And uh, it can cause you problems. And my strength is that I'm motivated, I'm strong, I'm passionate, I've got high energy levels, I've got a thrust style, I know how to break through, I don't quit, and I, and I go after it. And uh, I remember the Saturday morning years ago, I was on my knees and I was praying and I was crying. And we'd just been through a commercial arbitration and one of the things, I made some mistakes, I got angry because when you do things through anger, you become irrational and you lose the plot. And I didn't do my homework. And the guy that I was 
the arbitrating against was the Vice President of the Housing Industry Association and the arbitration was through the Housing Industry Association. So straight away I was stuffed. I didn't know that. And I remember on the Saturday morning we lived at 1A Phillips Street, Vale Park and I, we, 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 on the Friday before, the day before we got the judgement and it was 50-50, half in my favour and half in his favour because I really never had a chance. And I just started to cry. I was on my knees and I was just crying. And I thought, this is just too much. You know, my strength was my weakness because it just, you know, just drove me. And I opened up the Bible and I opened up to Psalm 55. I think it's verse 24. And it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And I was just crying and crying and I was just thinking, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And I'm speaking in a couple of weeks to the, the group of young people here, but they're all away today, so I'm going to share this story. We were building a commercial building and the tenant wanted 100 amps, three-phase electricity. And so we made the application to the electricity supply company and Alf was running that thing and the, um, the electricity guy was prickly and difficult to deal with and surly and, uh, and it ended up, he's, he quoted us $40,000 to supply 100 amps three phase. And I remember the night we met at our place at Cedar Avenue, the whole family came over and we were going to pray about it. We were going to pray, Lord, is there a way around this paying 40000 up front in cash? And we, uh, we gathered at a house in Cedar Avenue. Everyone came. We sat around the family room and we said, Lord, help us. Lord, find a way through this $40,000. Anyhow, so a couple of days later, Alf rang the guy back from the electricity company and uh, he wasn't there, he was on holidays. And so another guy said, let me have a look at your file. So the other guy had a look at the file and he said to Alf, boy, he's doing this the hard way. Why is he doing it like this? So it ended up, he said, I'll contact you soon. So we, within a week, we had a fax saying that they'll do it for zero, for nothing. And we saved 40000 up front and... Um, Psalm 55, I think it's verse 24, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. So I've learnt that. Thank you. Cast your burden on the Lord. How true. Uh, now, there's, I've just opened up a spot. We've got a few more headings coming. Well done. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to be a grandpa. How about that? About four weeks and closing fast. And, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. A couple of weeks ago I went and uh, I'd never marched before. Not really. But I marched with the, with the March for Life uh, that was organised by the uh, uh, Christian lobby. And there was, they said there was about three and a half, but I reckon I'd, they didn't count the hands and feet. Uh, so I reckon there was about 5,000 of us and we met uh, right in front of the Adelaide Oval 
Um, happened to be right where they were doing some construction and things like that. So the guy was trying to speak and what we heard was through the... Anyway, but uh, a couple of things that they spoke of. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to preface my remarks reading from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. <laughs> How about that? And indeed the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed me. <laughs> In my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book... They were written, the days are fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And how precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them as they would be more in number than the sand, and when I wake, I am with you. This is describing the birth process. You know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made and God has plans for us and thoughts for us that we can't even fathom it says they'd be greater than the sand his thoughts for us and uh, one of the ladies who was speaking at, at the meeting she just happened to mention uh, almost as a in, in passing that we're in a David and Goliath fight David wrote this psalm so he knew what it was all about to to stand up against a Goliath and, uh, you know, when he went to stand up against Goliath, he took with him five stones. Five stones. Uh, one would have done the trick, but, but Goliath has got four brothers. One for, and it, was, um, it would have been uh, incumbent upon them to seek revenge for their dead brother. And so uh, David, is, he's got four just waiting for the others. Come on, fellas. Uh, he wasn't going to miss, not with his first one. And um, we, we are in that kind of a battle. In this case, it was abortion. In this case, it was abortion, a, a, a matter very close to my heart, and even more so now, as in four weeks' time, Bronnie and I were going to be grandparents. But, you know, that's just one of, one of them. And we've got this gender fluidity stuff. And this, this abortion Goliath, he's got four or five other brothers. Uh, you know, we have a magnificent stone. We have a, the, uh, you know, a sword of the spirit which, with which we can take these things on. But we've got to see them coming. Even now, there were three or four other bills being presented before Parliament. They don't seek to, uh, to destroy or anything like that. They just want to get rid of God out of everything. They are the sworn enemies of everything that we hold dear. And um, Goliath's other brothers, he's just waiting in the, in, the, in the wings. 
So, uh, folks, we have prayer here. Uh, sometimes Alf will gather us together and we will write, write letters and notes. And I send off emails to um, politicians and things like this about the, the kind of society that, that the enemies of God are seeking to, in, seeking to impose on the rest of us and we need to resist them. We need to keep our five, five and six and ten, ten stones with us all the time. They're all in here. Can you see me? <laughs> well, I have to, uh, to testify something that the Lord did, did to me or for me because I have always problems with my health because I have enlarged heart, three stents, and I'm moving on to be 90. But praise God, he's still keeping me for a reason. And it's always something that enemy attacks me all the time because I never driven a car. So when I sit at the buses or bus stops, I always love to witness and give some, some tracks and something, you know. So enemy attacks my health. And, and for a long time, my right leg was very much hurting. And with my walking, shopping, because I'm very stubborn old moo, I don't ask anybody to to take me. I need the exercise. So, so my leg was so bad, and one night, three weeks ago, I had a very vivid dream. And I, after the dream, we had ladies meeting, and I asked, I asked gay pastors, Pastor Ben's mom, if she believes in dreams, and she said yes. So I said, I had a dream I was standing at a, like a, not a mountain, but a straight wall with overgrown, with all sorts of growth. And there came an old, old gentleman with beard, gray hair, and he said to me, climb that wall. I said, no, no way. He said, climb that. So I finally, I climbed that wall up. And I woke up and I said, Lord, does this dream have a meaning? Please, please reveal to me. And you know, when I got up to, to get myself ready, I found my pain was completely gone. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you healed this body. I will trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I will lean not unto my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge him, and he shall make my path straight. Praise God. I'm cheating. I'm not taller than her. <laughs> Um, I've got PowerPoint, but I think it doesn't work this morning. I won't preach, so I'm scared. <laughs> it works? No? I can start anyway. I'm glad, Neil, you read the Psalm 139, because this is actually the one God put in my heart for 
five years actually, but specifically for a few weeks, it was on and on and on and on, and I was thinking, Lord, what, what is it? Is something deeply you need to stir up something or, yeah, dig something in me that is not really um, gone or, or something is hurting or whatever it is. So um, Neil read the psalm, I don't need to do it again. And I wanted to show you some picture about some people. So um, if we can see, but it's not. Yes, anyway, uh, beauty, yeah, I've got picture of some beautiful, you can see this beautiful baby. And I think it's not a good order, yeah. And yeah, the number one, or, so can you go on? So the Psalm 139 talking about, um, obviously, um, David in his conscience will ask Sunday that uh, what is beauty, oh, it's all in order, but we're thinking about the pattern of beauty, something beautiful like uh, Miss Universe, but how about when beauty has to be fixed of the world, so something you can see for me is this little cute, it's very beauty. This is perfection. Can you go on, please? So we've got, we define different sort of beauty regarding the criteria of the man, but not God. So beauty, they spend lots of money of facial, you know, aging and stuff like that. Oh, my beauty today, I'm not beautiful or whatever. So, yeah. You know, you can see the cosmetic, how many millions they spend for that, but oh, they come back again. It's okay, doesn't matter. Yeah, don't worry if you can go further, but I'll keep the last one for, if you can keep the last one for me. What I wanted to talk about is not only about beauty, but the person we are as human, but how God can see us as David very, reach from himself, deep in himself, you know. So um, this picture of people are beautiful, but this one is particularly dear to my heart. And um, God said, um, the great God, the I am, saying to David the unjust, you created me. He lays the foundation of an active God's personal omniscience and omnicompetency. With God, the womb's darkness is light and his hiddenness lies open. This morning we talk about light and darkness. You know, it seems that he's coming back today. This is like the man thinks what's happened in darkness when God created David and when he created us. Um, he lays the foundation of an active God's personal omnificence. I said it again. With... Um, we see God's intimate activity with a psalmist against the law of supply and demand. Yes, it was God's thoughts to create David, to create us. To use the expression, the verse, you know, when it's translated, um, you, you, what is it? I lost it. You formed me, my inert parts. So some translation is kidney, but in the... 
not the Greek, but the Jews, the Jews said it's something very intimate part. Why David said that is because, you know, his story is, he was funny man, lots of women, and this is his weaknesses. But God, God created him, and he loves him in a specific way. Um, um, God can control, if God can create David's kidney, it means that he can have the control over his whole being. And then David says, you cover me. Where? In a darkness and most remote bowels of the earth. The translation said, you wave me. If you're knitting, you know what is it, waving? Which a word is referred to the verb weavings, but weavings veins and bonds. The Lord covers us like David in the womb of our mother, declaring that God is weaving in a dark, sacred place only him knew. It means we are, God's, we are in God's hand. It means God became a personal creator. It teaches us that God cares for us in specific way. Even before creation, God watched over our ways. Is it not encouraging this morning? David enthusiastic prays for a new perspective to say, I will praise you. This is a reason to praising God like David. We need to burst forth into praise for the greatness of God's work, creation and us. And there David says, I am fearfully, which is a thing which caused fear and astonishment, things start to become alive. I'm fearfully. I would like to wrap up with, maybe we can see the last picture, something more nicer. And when I'm thinking of this verse, you are wonderful. We are wonderful. Sorry, I can't pronounce. It's emotional. Wonderful made. And yes, this is Chloe. She's wonderful maid. She's got Down syndrome and she's my granddaughter. This is what I wanted to share with you this morning. You know, the gospel contains marvelous truths about the great change which occurs when we are translated from darkness to light, from death to life. Once we were in the hands of the enemy, and now we're in God's hands. And I was reminded this week that God's hands are the safest hands in the universe. You know, sometimes we go through things, we experience things, we find ourselves in situations that's where we, it seems like a dark place, a heavy place, challenging situations, and sometimes we see this happening to those we love and care about. And uh, the temptation is to 
be overcome with anxiety in those situations. And uh, some members of our family are going through stuff at the moment. But again, I'm reminded that they're believers. They're in God's hands. And it reminded me of a, um, a, a short poem that I made some time ago. It was a paraphrase of just a few verses from Psalm 63. O Lord, you're my God. I am safe in your hands. My soul longs for you in a dry, thirsty land. But in your sanctuary, I worship and see all your glory and power. My lips sing your praise for your kindness to me. And oft through the night will my thoughts turn to thee. You're my comfort and shield. At your feet may I yield to your glory and power. Pardon me for having this written out, but old blokes tend to waffle if they don't. <laughs> I was up at my son's place at One Tree Hill for lunch last Sunday. I couldn't but help think how much God has blessed me in for 90 years and counting. There were 20 of us at the table because John and Tiffany have nine children in age from 30 to 13. They were all there, plus spouses and grandchildren and one fiancé. Journo once asked John, how come you have so many children in this day and age? He said, we believe God wants us to have a lot of children. We've that's what we're doing. What, you might have some more? We well, don't know, do we? Well, they settled for nine. <laughs> now, some of them have had problems, but they're all Christians, and the youngest three were baptised quite recently. The Lord began to bless me before I was born, in fact, because I had Christian parents and Christian grandparents on both sides. My parents' lives demonstrated very clearly that they were what we would now call Jesus followers. So it isn't surprising that all their children, all their grandchildren, and most of their great-grandchildren became Christians, with many of them deeply involved in Christian work of various kinds to this day. We had five kids, and we were one of the few backsliders. That's my Sydney daughter, who was a believer when she went into medical school, but an unbeliever when she came out, which isn't all that rare, unfortunately. My father was a sheep farmer and I, at near Narracourt, and I guess he hoped that I would follow him. But by the time I was knee-high, it was obvious that I didn't have it in me, so he didn't try to make me one. I came to Adelaide 
in, I think, in late January 1946. I boarded with Pastor Reg Burrow of this church, so I obviously came here almost 74 years ago. It's where I met the pastor's niece, Gwen Burrow. I fell for her the moment I saw her, but it took a long time for her to so much as notice this country bumpkin. <laughs> but she couldn't get away because we were at choir practice on Friday night, Christian Endeavour at 9.15 on Sunday, church at 11, Sunday school in the afternoon, and the service at night. I tell you, Sunday was the Lord's Day then. In 1946, I became convinced that the Lord wanted me to work overseas. Pastor Bo would have been a doctor if he'd had the money, but he did a lot of doctoring in Bolivia, and during the Depression, he treated a lot of people around Burnside too, poor people. There were poor people in Burnside in those days. And because of his influence, really, that I decided to do medicine. How I became a surgeon with a view to working in New Guinea is too long a story to tell. If you've read my first book, you'll realise that when I was 19, a second year medical student, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. It began strangely with what looked like daytime sleepwalking and then I had a convulsion, not only did I fall, but the penny did too. And people realised what was on. I was put on treatment, which was more or less successful. But I still have the occasional sleepwalking thing. And I had an embarrassing one a fortnight ago Saturday, but I won't tell you about that now. We, we had an amazing thing. Nobody tried to took me, put me off studying medicine. And when I came to study surgery, nobody tried to discourage me there either. We had three years in England, when I became a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of England in 1958 on Gwen's birthday. The job became available in Rabaul next year at just the right time. So I went up to Australia House, all excited, which was dashed when I they heard about the Epsi. No, can't have that. Well, how that was overcome is another miracle like this is too long, take too long to tell. So we went to New Guinea, we had 28 years there. And when one of my trainees wasn't a job, there was one in Bernie, Tasmania, and that was another miracle. I was 59. I was offered a job in B because one of their three general surgeons had died. And we had 10 very happy years there. I talk about in the book that I had a few frights with epilepsy throughout my career, but no disasters. The one I don't mention is that it happened in the Burnley Private Hospital. I was doing a total thyroidectomy the next thing, I woke up on a trolley in recovery. <laughs> well, I, a few minutes later, I felt okay, went back and finished the case, but we canceled the rest of the list, you'll be glad to know.
Bernie isn't a big town. There must have been a bit of gossip, but didn't really interfere with my practice, either private or public. Then we went to a Southern Baptist hospital in Yemen in 1999, when the country wasn't quite as wild as it is now. But even so, three of my colleagues and good friends were shot dead. One morning, not long after I'd gone home for breakfast. I know where I would have been standing if I'd been still down there. And I think I would have taken the first bullet. Why did the Lord preserve me? I don't know. Perhaps it was to look after Gwen during her Alzheimer's. After the shootings, the government took over the hospital and we were invited back. And Gwen, aged 74, was one of the very few pink-skinned women who went back. And she was greatly loved and honoured for that. She was a truly godly lady. And after making me one of his children, marriage with Gwenborough was the greatest blessing the Lord ever gave me. Hello everyone, hopefully the sound is good because no one's at the desk. Um, I'd like to continue on from Nick's weaknesses, um, sharing some of my own. Uh, I think through God that your weakness definitely can be transformed into a strength. And one of my big weaknesses is prayer. Um, and one of my physical weaknesses for the last two, over two years has been my back. And uh, it's a real struggle for me to ask God for things. I always feel that there are more important things to ask him for, especially for other people. And, um, but the reason I'm standing here is that I'm very grateful and thankful to God, but also to everyone here in the church. Um, huge, huge appreciation and the gift that you have of praying for other people and praying for me and praying for my health. Um, I'm also here to share um, that I have found God through fasting, and I didn't really expect to, to find that myself. The Catholic tradition before church is to fast, or originally was fasting from midnight beforehand. That was then changed to three hours beforehand, and then recently changed to one hour beforehand. And um, one of the main reasons is to prepare your body for Jesus and to, you know, sacrifice, to remind yourself, to prepare yourself to, to um, be penitent. penitent. And um, it's interesting to see in our Western culture how fasting has really uh, left our spirituality in some ways. And we take it for granted. And one of the things I found researching is there's a lot of stuff coming out in science and health about the benefits of fasting, especially past 24 hours, and how the cells, instead of reproducing, they start recycling and repairing and healing and, and uh, things like cancer and, and inflammation and lots of other ailments um, can be assisted and helped. 
through this process, a natural process, I think a gift from God has, has been given to us in this way. And through history, in many cultures and many religions, you can see that they have fasting as part of that culture. Um, so this last week, I've just, I just uh, reached a goal of 72 hours. I was aiming for 80, but I couldn't go to sleep, so I had a midnight snack. Um, and, uh, you know, I never thought that I could ever... You, know, you think about the 48-hour fa famine and your allowed to eat crackers and all these other things on it, but to actually only have water is a lot easier than having snacks and things. It sort of screws up with, with how insulin works and how your body naturally um, uses fat to, to, for you to survive on. Um, and insulin being the counter to that ability to use your fat. Um, so in the last four months, I have lost 12 kilograms um, and uh, really been, been praying and fasting with God so that I can heal my back further. So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you, everyone. Probably sneak in one more. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, it might be a bit awkward for me, but that'll be right. Um, I was looking at uh, Psalm 124, and if we've got enough time for me to read that. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And uh, I thought back over my life there's been a few situations where things have seemed pretty dark. And it seems like a snare has been set before me. There was a situation at work many years ago uh, where I was going to lose my job. And uh, there were some circumstances where people trying to make sure that I didn't get another job in, uh, in the government. And uh, God came through. He, he worked away. And I won't go into that. And I'm sure a lot of you can think about circumstances in your life where you couldn't see how a bad situation was going to be worked out. But God found a way and uh, released you from that situation. Uh, but I wanted to focus also on the, the last two verses where it talks about the snare of, of, of the fowler. And uh, a snare is a device for trapping um, birds or small animals. And it can also be anything you know, alluring and attractive. I'm assuming that when someone sets a snare or a trap, they probably put something in there 
to tempt the, the bird or the, the small animal to go in there. So there's something alluring about it to, to tempt them to go in there. And that can be, happen in our, in our life as well. And uh, Israel, for Israel, it was the, the gods of the um, foreign nations. You know, they were tempted to go along and live their lives the same as those around them. And it seemed alluring and tempting. But, uh, but it said there in, and I've got to get my reference here, it says in Judges 2, 3, that that became a snare for them, that they, they sought after those other gods and to live their lifestyle the same as those people around about them. And we have uh, lots of snares that can come into our life as well. And uh, God can release them. They can either be circumstances that are out of our control, like my job, what was happening for me, God released me from that. It can be a trap that we've got ourselves into, perhaps from our own foolishness, from something alluring that has tempted us. But I also wanted to look at it in terms of what God has done for us as a whole. You know, when we are in sin, we are that bird or that small animal trapped in that, in that snare. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, that animal can't get out itself. It is stuck there. It, it's trapped. And, it's, and if it stays there long enough, it's going to die. And that's what sin and what our life without Jesus is like. We're in a snare and a trap and eventually death will come. You know, the word of God says that the wages of sin is death. And uh, so for that bird or animal trapped in that snare, that's going to be the end. But someone comes along and releases it from that, from that trap and from that snare, and let's go free. And, you know, and that's what Jesus is. It's just such, it's another picture. We've had several pictures this morning uh, already, if you know, the night and day and, and darkness and birth and new life. And um, this, is, this is another wonderful picture of that, that bird or that animal being released from that trap that it can't get out of itself. And uh, that's what God does, does for us. Let me just read that again. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us up as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And we can call upon his name even when we feel like we're not in that um, spiritual snare anymore. We've been released by the Lord. But sometimes there are still snares and things we feel trapped in in, in our life. And it says... Uh, our help is in the name of the Lord. We can call on that name of Jesus, you know, to be released from circumstances in our life. The Lord who made heaven and earth. Would you all stand, please? We're going to close with a prayer. It's Psalm 100. This weekend, our sister Joan Isla went to be with her Lord and Saviour. She's in the arms of the Heavenly Father. And she always carried a joy. She always carried something within her that was uh, a smile that would just come on upon her face and just light up the room. She's always happy to have a joke and have a smile. Uh, she'll be dearly missed by many who knew her 
and her family also. So we're going to uphold their family in prayer and we're going to close with Psalm 100. Heavenly Father, we pray that, Lord, the Psalms that have been shared with us this morning, Lord, Lord, that we would grow in our confidence, that we would grow in our awareness of you, Lord, that we would surrender something of ourself. Lord, that we would extend our faith and trust in you further than before. Lord, because of what you have done in our lives and what you have done in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray for Joan's family. Lord, we thank you for Joan. We thank you, Lord, for her witness of your love at work. And we ask, Lord, that at this time, Lord, you would be with Joan's family as they come together to remember her life and remember you at work in her life. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I'm reading from the NIV and from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. May you know his faithfulness afresh this day. God bless you. Please join us in the